I find the best leadership is those that listen. A lot of what I do is just listen to people. Just listen. Just like when you took notes earlier on this call before we turned on the camera, you're listening. And you're able to articulate a conversation. It's the same thing when it comes to finding out what makes people tick. Just listen to them. And when you're evolved enough or enlightened enough or whatever the term that you want to put on it, it's very easy to see someone's programming and psychology. I have no formal education in psychology. I'm all self-taught. However, Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. I get the fortunate pleasure today to interview CW, the man who's been in the military, who's built nonprofits, who's written books, who's helped veterans to become leaders, who's built multiple businesses, who does coaching, but does coaching from the standpoint of he only does it 10% of the time because he wants to keep doing 90% of the time to show that he can do and not just be a coach. There's so many things that I want to dive into today, CW. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Take us into it right away. With all the things that you've done so far, what has served as your greatest challenge? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, I appreciate that intro. Appreciate you letting me have the opportunity to hopefully influence one person's life today, uh, speaking to however many people, as long as there's a little bit of impact, that's all I'm looking to do. So thank you. Uh, the most challenging? Ah, oh, man. Prob honestly, uh, I, I could give you all sorts of, of stories, but you know, the, the most challenging day of my life was when I was wounded in combat. Uh, it was 2006 in Baghdad. Baghdad. Um, I had some metal sticking out of my face. I had a piece of metal sticking out of my back. Uh, we were evacuated off the battlefield, but prior to that, I had given up. Uh, I had reached. A, uh, keep in mind, I was only 21, uh, so my my fortitude wasn't quite built as well as it is now, getting close to 40. But uh, you know, there's only been, um, as far as I can remember, one one time in my life that I had given up, and uh, that was that day. And mm. that day was pivotal, pivotal enough to have built the mindset that I have now through it being so challenging and never wanting to experience that type of helplessness again in my life. When you mention the word fortitude, what, what words come to mind? What images come to mind? What images come to mind? Yeah. Of fortitude. Yeah. Cause you mentioned like being at 21, you didn't have the fortitude. Is that like, you know, depth of character, depth of strength, financial, like. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I, in, in the, in the, in the perspective that I was, trying to deliver the term in it, I was referencing, and I could have been more clear, probably maturity and mindset. Mm -hmm. And, and when I, when I was saying, uh, fortitude, I, I meant since that point, which was, uh, 17 years ago, um, a lot of maturing, a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things have been built, uh, not just tangibly, but intangibly, including mindset. And, um, 
you know, looking back on that day and, and being where I am today, which I'm grateful to not be laying on that battlefield is, uh, a fortitude of mindset and discipline that has been built since. Talk to me about the process of developing mindset. Was it something where the injury triggered the event, which gave you the opportunity to have mindset? Or was it something that through that you, you had a conscious, uh, basically you understood I've got to build this and work it out. Like you work out in the gym. You know, I think, I think anything in life requires reps. If, if you want to get good at it, anything, making money, fitness, mindset, relationships, uh, leadership, anything, uh, of course there's going to be exceptions to, to that statement. But the point that I'm getting at is it just takes time. Uh, and, and tell me if I'm not answering the the question correctly, but I just think reps and time are what equal mindset. Yeah. And I think you're answering the question spot on. And I just want to take it deeper because I, I think the mindset strength of a lot of the people that are early on in business is it doesn't afford them the opportunities that they need. Right. I mean, it's like when you send somebody off to war and they have injuries or the professional athletes, like they have a mindset that, that allows them to be capable of some really, really great things. And so what I'm hoping to uncover too is like, like, was it, do you feel like it was a lot of the, the injury? Like, cause I mean, like you hear about professionals athletes and they have injuries mm -hmm. and then they have to come back the next year. And, and like, they talk about how dark those days are. And then they talk about who they are as they come back. So I'd love to get a sense of that. Like, sure. What, how did that injury impact you as a person? Yeah, that's that's a good question, and uh, thank you for clarifying it for me. Uh, so, so I, I can articulate the answer uh, well enough. Uh, the 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 interesting part about this injury was the the physical injury was minor. I was out for three weeks. You know, the long term deep injury was very 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 deep rooted trauma. And I, I don't believe that it was a singular day that constituted this trauma. However, that day in particular was probably one of three that had the most trauma in a day. So what I'm saying is the trauma is like this uh, from war, from combat is like this year-long experience, if you will, uh, when you're a combat guy. Uh, nothing against those who haven't seen combat there in the military, but those of us that do combat for a job, do war for a job, uh, it's like a prolonged trauma over the course of a year or two, depending on how long you serve. So, you know, over the course of my five-year military career, I spent like 25 months in combat. So, you know, roughly the majority of my, my, my stent. So the, the injury really wasn't known then. Hmm. I started to understand that I was injured after I had gotten out of the military, which hmm. the irony is, is when I started to go into business and I had this anger problem and listen, anger is an emotion. Fundamentally, it's okay to have anger. It's not okay to do things uh, that are violent physically, emotionally, psychologically, so 
not being able to control my anger, not being emotionally intelligent to understand the anger is where I began to realize I had a really big injury, if you will, from the trauma. Mm. So I had reached out to the department of the VA and I, I had asked for help, which is the exact opposite of what they teach you in the military. When in the military, they say you're weak if you ask for help in this manner. But I really wanted to, I really wanted help because I was a violent guy. Like I had just been in combat for two years. Like my life depended on me being better at violence than every other man that stood in front of me. And still to this day, including being ranked number one in the world in jujitsu before I retired, no one's defeated me. So the violence that I had was immense. I, I don't think I'm better than anyone. I'm just trying to put it on display of how violent of a human I was. And I was injured. I didn't like it. I didn't want it. So when I reached out for help, they just handed me pills. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I started doing research on how to heal my own mind. Uh, and all of the research pointed towards meditation. And, and this was over a decade ago. So I started meditating and I was terrible at it for years, but I noticed the injury got better. You know, my, my tolerance grew, my, my temper grew rather than shortened. My ability to stay in control grew, even if it was slow, it was noticeable. So these prolonged injuries over the course of long periods of time typically take a long time to undo just like anything else in our life. Like think about people that are overweight. It didn't magically happen. And, and I was obese at one point in my life. It doesn't magically happen. It's years of terrible feeding habits and exercise habits. It's going to take time to undo just like prolonged trauma in the case that I'm discussing. So over a decade later of meditating and several other practices that I now preach and teach and have been adopted by thousands. And it's like awesome to see other people doing it. It's like the coolest thing, but um, it has helped heal that injury almost completely. There's still remnant, like remnants, remnants. Yeah. Remnants. Mm -hmm. Remnants. I think I'm saying yeah. it correctly. Yeah, of it. Got it. But I, I think fundamentally what it comes down to is how to heal that type of injury with, for me was just understanding emotions and the control over them. Uh, I've recently had a conversation with a buddy of mine on this topic and he used a really good example. His name's Tony Watley. He said, um, Shout out to him and his show, 365 Driven, huge podcast, huge entrepreneurial podcast, Tony. He said, uh, if you're a male and you lose control on the road because you were cut off and you have road rage, you have pathetic control over your anger. And I sat there and I thought to myself, I was like, man, I used to get so angry at people cutting me off, but now... At 38 years old, people cut me off and I'm like, oh, they must be in a rush. <laughs> they got to get somewhere. You know? 
um, I'm okay. We're good. Like no one crashed. We're fine. Um, and, and my, one of my cars like drives itself. So it doesn't even like, like, I don't even have to do anything, but the point is, you know, um, yeah, I think, I think that that is the long winded answer to your question. I think. Yeah. So let's dive into this element. So you're the most violent man on the planet, the best in the world at jujitsu. And you now discover this process to where you could actually take control over your anger. And does the thought process become, okay, I want to eradicate my anger all of the way, have a hundred percent control. Like to what degree do you keep the strong, violent man inside of you that's capable of doing things? And to what degree, you know, like what's, is there a balance? Is it both at the same time? What What's the play? Yeah. Um, Ernest Hemingway, he's a, uh, famous author from around the turn of the century. I believe he served in world war one. He's a novelist. I'm, I'm going to butcher his quote. He says, um, once a man has been hunted by armed men and he has hunted armed men for long enough, he's never the change. Or he's never the same, excuse me. So that violence will always be there. However, never wanting to go there, never allowing the opportunity to go there, taking myself out of positions to go there, for instance, retiring from jujitsu and mixed martial arts. I mean, I still have cauliflower in my ears. You know, like, it, like if people have problems with me, I'm the last person that wants to fight, I don't, I don't want to fight you. I don't, I don't, I don't want to take any damage. The, the chances are that I wouldn't take any damage, but I'm not in the position to do it. So the obese fat kid is still there. The violent warrior is still there. It's just a matter of tapping into the positive from it and taking what is good and moving away from what is bad. And it's just telling us, telling ourselves the right stories to move past those sorts of things. In my humble opinion, it's what's worked for me. I'm not perfect by any means and nor am I the best at or a world leader at anything when it comes to these sorts of topics. However, I've spent a lot of time around combat guys, and we all have a very similar perspective on things, which is as soon as you move past being addicted to this, you no longer want it. You don't want the fight. We don't, we don't want to. So I don't think it's a matter of hating what you see in the mirror. It's a matter of bettering it and, and having the emotional control or, or learning emotional control is a really important tool for anybody to have business owners, entrepreneurs, combat veterans alike. How has each of these elements positively impacted you in business? Like how has the combat warrior impacted you positively in business? How has 
the meditative version of you? Um, yeah, I mean, I think making all the mistakes has probably been the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, you know, now, uh, being discovered, if you will, um, has helped me be able to have a platform to help others. Uh, a lot of people see strength and the strength that they see, I show them that they too could likely overcome whatever they desire. My stories, uh, people find strength in. Uh, if I'm asked to speak at events, it's typically on these sorts of topics. Um, last week, I had my first engagement where I made the whole room cry. Never seen that before, other than Ed Milet. is the only other person I've seen do that. And, and I'm sure other people have done it. I'm just saying, like, when you have emotional control, you can channel it and be able to show others that they too can channel theirs. And if you can control emotion of yourself and people in the room, that's power. And I think fundamentally for some of us, that's the type of impact that we desire. And the power in this case is the power to influence. Yeah. So when you develop this skill set where you're in control of your emotions, which I'm guessing came through a lot of the meditative practices and then the, the skills and the reps of them being able to transfer that to, to foster an environment where others have that, essentially like, just like in sales, like the world is your oyster. And which is one of the reasons you've done so many things. Like how have you structured your thoughts about what you do now that, I mean, you could literally do anything. I've given up. I give up and trust that everything is meant to be. It's pr probably the most difficult lesson in life that I've had to accept is it's all just meant to be. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, this shitty thing happened? It's meant to be. Oh, this great thing happened? It's meant to be. <laughs> like, I don't know if, like, that makes any sense, but. I've stopped fighting, you know, yeah. I've stopped fighting it. Like, you don't want to work with me? Cool. You want to work with me? Cool. You want my help? Cool. You don't want my help? Cool. Like, it's just like, whatever. You want to work with me? Like, you want to work on my team? Cool. You don't want to work on my team? Cool. Like, whatever. <laughs> like, it's just like, I, it depends on your belief system and, and what we all pray to. But like, you know, the way that I refer to things, like, you know, you, the, whatever you believe in, your higher power hears, listens, and sees things that you don't. And what it fundamentally comes down to is if you believe in something bigger than yourself, whether it's God, Allah, universe, a dead relative, whatever it is, nothing's better or worse than each other. It's that your divine plan, your alignment is dependent on how much you can trust that you have nothing to do with it. <laughs> you yeah. really don't. 
Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. So, and speaking along those lines, you've got a nonprofit, a 501c3, that helps veterans become entrepreneurs. Like, give us a glimpse into what that looks like. Well, I mean, it's a seven-hour answer, but, uh, you know, the... The short answer would be I'm just taking my curriculum that I've built and uh, giving it to veterans. Uh, I believe that the military does an excellent job at rewiring mindsets. Uh, they have a little bit of a shortcoming on releasing veterans back into society. And uh, the Clark Initiative, uh, which is my nonprofit, uh, we are going to target veterans transitioning out of the military to excel, empower, and educate them to become entrepreneurs. And we're already doing it, and uh, we're seeing some pretty incredible progress. Uh, you know, fundamentally, what you have is you have a very well-trained human coming out of the military. If they can face themselves kind of like what I've been talking about this entire show and move past their trauma in themselves, regardless of if they've seen combat or not, you can take that energy allocation of theirs, which is pretty serious when it comes to vets and apply it to building themselves, teams and their businesses. It doesn't matter what skill set, you know, you take a, you take a vet that's able to move past themselves and put them in sales. They'll do really well. Any, any position, leadership, business ownership, uh, <laughs> HR, <laughs> like it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of giving them the tools to be able to understand you have to move past yourself and then give them the tools to understand that you can allocate your energy, your time, the rest of your life to building something. Why not build yourself a team in a company is what I say. I'm a little partial to entrepreneurship though. I mean, you know, there's less than, you know, maybe 20% of us in America that are. So I'm a little, you know, I'm a little biased. You know what I mean? hundred percent, man. It's the chase of freedom. Yeah. Um, so I want to get into this. So when someone approaches you and they've got this trauma, like, is there like a, a formulaic process that you go through to get them to either release that or to, to change the direction of it? If they're open-minded, yes. And that's the key. You got to burn them the fuck down. You got to find it. 
You got to find that trigger point. You got to burn them, you rip them apart. Tell me more. How do you, how do you rip somebody apart? Yeah. Just how do you do that? You got to be good. You got to be trusted and you got to be, you got to be even keel. But the key is you have to have an open mindset, both ends. I find the best leadership is those that listen. A lot of what I do is just listen to people. Just listen. Just like when you took notes earlier on this call before we turned on the camera, you're listening and you're able to articulate a conversation because of it. It's the same thing when it comes to finding out what makes people tick. You just listen to them. And when you're evolved enough or enlightened enough or whatever the term that you want to put on it, it's very easy to see someone's programming and psychology. I have no formal education in psychology. I'm all self-taught. However, I do work with doctors of psychology and teach them psychology. Fun fact. It's actually pretty cool when that happened. I was like, really? It's really cool. You it's like, to, it's like the book smart teach? person versus the street smart person. It's like, you want me to teach you psychology? You have a PhD in it. <laughs> yeah. You know? But anyways, that's not the point. The point is um, uh, you just listen. And if they're open-minded and they truly want to change, they'll take the feedback. And it doesn't, it's not immediate. It takes time. And it's when they're ready. My curriculum isn't, oh, you're going to do this in 12 weeks and make a million dollars and be a brand new person. No, there's no time frame. It's what's good for you. It's when you're ready. One of, one of the biggest things that, like I said before, that people find in me is strength. They see the strength in that I don't have a selfish intention. The best thing that I could see is you winning. Because if you're winning, we're winning. And I'm pretty patient. It's not one of my strongest suits, but some people it takes years. And a little inch forward to moving past themselves is better than inches backwards. So as long as someone's open, and they'll open up and talk. I could rip them right apart. I mean, in a in a positive way, like of find course. that. And I'm mm-hmm. not perfect at it. And there's people that are probably far better at it than I am. Not in the veteran community, though. Hmm. So basically, you're probably not just listening their way to fixing them, right? It's probably a certain amount of listening until you fully understand their programming, their systems. And at some point, there's probably an exposing that's happening of what they say they want and what their programming is and and where that falls off the tracks. Yeah. You know, I I was listening to uh, Dana Lynn Bailey speak yesterday and she was talking about Tony Robbins process on this and it's not wrong. It's, it's absolutely right. I mean, Tony Robbins is a beast. I mean, many things can be said, but um, you know, fundamentally, once you find that trigger or that problem or that dark, place in their life. If you have any education on psychology, you just reframe the story that they're speaking. Once you reframe the story that they're speaking and they accept it and they reframe it themselves, they're going to progress. Just just like I said about being obese. You don't get fat from fucking not eating well for a week or a month. It takes years. It's going to take years to undo. You know, if you, if I'm working with a veteran who's in their thirties and they have trauma from 10 years ago, but they came from traumatic upbringing on top of it, we have 30 years of undoing to do. It's going to take years. 
And patience, I think, is the Achilles heel of many people to include me. And when I judge myself on patience, I'm judging myself on patience as a leader for others. You know, I don't know if that makes any sense. It really does. I mean, there's so many parallels to sales and the sales process, right? Yeah. You're assessing, you're info gathering, you're wrapping up, you're putting it in a bow, you're making sure that they accept that you understand the true thing and then you're on the same page and then you have the ability to shift frame. And and so many times, like to be a great salesperson, to be a great leader, you have to be able to one, get in the trenches with them for a little bit. But then two, like you've got to be able to shift the conversation, which you're obviously describing as a reframe. So in in a in a sales process, I'm trying to do this in a single call, 30 minutes, an hour, maybe a two-step call. You're doing this over a period of time. Like how, how does the long game where there's recurring, like, are you constantly going through the same info gathering, reframing process? What does it look like when it's a long game? Billions and trillions versus millions. Millions are easy. Sales is bullshit. When you actually have no selfish motive, including money, and you truly want to help people. There's a huge difference between millions and billions. I'm not at billions. I can't say that, yeah. I, that I am. However, it's very soon. 10 years, 20 years, whatever. I don't know. However, yeah. the point is, if there's no, there's no selfish timeline, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying there's no selfish timeline. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It's what's good for the person. Hundred percent. But but let's say let's say it's it's agreed on that that there's no selfish intent. What does the process look like for for doing that? Are you just kind of repeating similar patterns just again and again? And it's a it's a reminder game. Depends. Depends on the situation. Just like any call is situational, so is the person. And when you're dealing with someone's life rather than a transaction, uh, it depends very heavily on their situation. I've never worked with the same like the same person. It's always been different. You know, Matt, Chris, Paola, Penelope, they're all different. They're all different sets of circumstances. You know, you you know, you know Patrick. I've worked with Patrick for oh at least three quarters of a year. You know, it took a quarter to reframe a lot of thinking. And then by the second quarter, he was off. And now he's in the best place in his life so far, you know, but if I deal with it, keep in mind, he came to me when he was 26. You know, if I, if someone comes to me in their forties and they have combat trauma and all sorts of other trauma, it could take five years. I've had clients that have been with me for a decade. You know, it's just, it depends on the person. There's no answer. It just depends. And sometimes you can get years down the road and realize you're not the person for them. It's just the way it goes. I interviewed a gal named Annie. Um, we had a really amazing conversation and she helps business leaders. She said that virtually almost all, if not the all limiting beliefs and problems that come into business are the leaders undealt with trauma. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would agree. Yeah. Can you give your thoughts on that? Like, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're the leader's the bottleneck. You know, you don't believe me? Okay. You're a leader. Take yourself out of the position for a month. See what happens. Um, I'm serious. I bet anyone do it. See what happens. Uh, 
the leader is responsible for everyone's emotions. If the leader has traumatic problems they've not dealt with, it's going to seep into their team. Or if you're like a coach, it's going to seep into your clients, people that are paying you. You got to deal with yourself. True leaders, the majority of what they do is understand and deal with emotion. Dale Carnegie has a quote. He's one of the greatest authors, in my opinion. Uh, he says uh, something along the lines of 15% of your success is technical skill. 85% is how you deal with people. Master of psychology he was. However, he wasn't a psychologist, but he taught people how to how to deal with humans, which is psychology. You know, and, and, and listen, no leader is perfect. The, the best leaders that have ever been have always had demons, right? Like one of the best leaders to ever walk this earth and known for how well he dealt with humans was Abraham Lincoln. And that dude had some serious trauma. If you've never read about, I'm sure you probably know about Abraham Lincoln. And if, if anyone listening hasn't understood the power that man had over other humans, uh, his wife helped him a lot, but she was also a whole nother story, but that's not the point. Um, the, the, dude, the dude is considered one of the best leaders, speakers, and in human relationships in the past couple of centuries, let alone history of the world and uh he had a horrendous upbringing horrendous not to mention was murdered but uh he recognized it he realized that his downfall was himself in his 20s and as he matured as we talked about earlier in this call he overcame his traumas and himself and became this beacon of light through his 30s into his 40s. I might be a little off on the timing of his life. Like, I'm not an expert on Lincoln, but yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, um, what's his name? Um, uh, oh, shoot, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Um, Thomas, um, not Thomas Jefferson. Okay. We'll leave that reference out because I can't reference the guy. But um, yeah, like... Like, look, look, I would, I would, I'd hate to go here, but, you know, look at, look at the leader that you follow and understand who that person is. And if you know something about that leader that they won't admit, it might be, it might be, it might be something they haven't faced yet. And then that could seep into the business. And what I find working with leaders and teaching leadership and, Speaking on leadership and embodying leadership is the leaders that think that they are the best really just need to be the student. And the student aspect of leadership never ends, ever, always, like always, you know, um, the, stu the, the, the student leader the leader that is humble enough to realize that they know very little, but they have gotten good at that very little is the one that has an open mind. And just like we spoke about before with my approach with people, as long as they have an open mind, you know, every leader needs to be coachable. And if you're not coachable, 
um, you might not be a leader. True. And, and there's a saying basically that the more you know about a subject, the more you realize you don't know. Mm. Um, which exactly. if someone, someone feels like they know it, they obviously don't know very much about the subject, right. which causes a lot of concern. What's your vision for your life and business the next 12 to 18 months? Um, you know, these, these sorts of things I, I get very general about because, um, you know, something I've learned along the way is you don't talk about those sorts of things in detail. Uh, and it's nothing personal. It's just, and given, given the situation of where we are as a society, I think there's a lot of variables to say the least. And my purpose, my being, what I'm here for is many things, but prominently in the public is to be able to exude power and strength and leadership for those that are looking for it to save themselves, to help them realize that they can save themselves. I see a lot of darkness. I was talking about it in 2019 publicly on my show, wrote about it in my book. I saw all this, called it. But I, I've always talked about there was going to be some dark times. And 2020 was definitely weird, but it wasn't necessarily dark. And I think that storm, if you will, has arrived. And the next 18 to 24 months, there's so many variables. I mean, everybody should probably know what happened today or yesterday, depending on how you look at things when it comes to our economy. And no one actually knows what's going to happen. You could study history, 1918, 1913, when the Federal Reserve came around and inflation started. Um, 1918, the Spanish flu, and uh, the Great Depression and World War II and so on and so forth. It's, it's cyclical. And if anything is similar, it's that. So it's hard to project exactly my feelings and my thought processes, but what I will continue to do is push forward. And that's what I do. Hmm. My mindset is I can't be stopped. And push forward for the goal of lightening the darkness or in other yes. words, helping people that are in dark places like veterans yes. get into better places. Yeah. There's this uh, philosopher called Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. You know who he is? I do. He has this concept of the Superman, Zarathustra. Mm -hmm. The Ubermensch. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I'm talking, talking to good people. And fundamentally, there needs to be people that bring light to darkness. And unfortunately, in the time that we live in, it's just so profound how dark it can get because of outside influences. You know, I think a lot of people don't understand that anything you put into your mind is programming you. Anything. Podcasts, music, social media, news, people you listen to, mentors, coaches. And with the abundance of crap that we have, 
I really just think people have gotten very vulnerable and scared. And someone like myself, I'm not, I'm definitely vulnerable. Like I can be vulnerable is what I mean, but I'm definitely not scared Hmm. at all. And there's gotta be people like that for the masses. And after 15 years of having my head down and working, we've gotten to the point that people are paying attention to me. I don't think I'm anything special, but the impact, the influence, the value, whether you agree or not, is there. And listen, most people like me, but some people don't, and that's cool. I wish them well. But the point is, and getting back to your question is, I'm just going to continue to push forward and bring that strength and light to the darkness. Awesome. Well, CW, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about some positive topics, some dark topics, some some ways that we could benefit and not sugarcoating it, not beating around the bush. So guys, if you're out there listening, maybe you are the bottleneck in your business. Maybe there's an element to which you have to step up your leadership in order for your organization to grow. Or maybe there's just some things that you haven't dealt with, right? Write down something you learned from this episode. Share it with somebody who knows so they can hold you accountable. Because freedom's acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day, before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 